I'm Hannah Alberga. And I'm Catherine DeClerc. And this is Ballot Box, your one-stop shop for everything you need to know about the politics and the drama unfolding on the provincial election campaign trail. Let's jump right into it because there's a lot to run through. All four main party leaders headed to North Bay this week for a debate that specifically honed in on issues that impacted northern Ontario. But unsurprisingly, many of these topics, like taxes, housing, and of course transportation, are just as top of mind for the rest of the province. While debates are technically set up to give leaders a chance to challenge each other on their pledges for the future, a lot of the sparring also stepped back into the past. For progressive conservative leader Doug Ford, sharp words were shared when it came to how he dealt with the pandemic. When I know that uh, some of the promises that uh, Mr. Ford is making are the same ones that were in his last platform and he hasn't gotten around to those things. Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca was Ford's prime target and he used Del Duca's report card as Kathleen Wynne's transport minister to dig deep. Mr. Del Duca, you had your opportunity and you failed. You were the minister of transportation. You didn't build absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Green Party leader Mike Schreiner was the only one to duck his opponent's attacks, and at times some even openly agreed with him. There was a lot of cooperation and collaboration among all four parties at Queen's Park. It was actually one of our best moments as a province. That's your spark notes for the first debate. But as Election Day creeps up on us in less than three weeks, a central question likely on most voters' minds, who are the main four party leaders? Beyond the podiums and photo ops, what do they stand for? To bring you, the voters, closer to the leaders, our CTV News Toronto digital team sat down with the NDP, Liberal, and Green Party leaders. Unfortunately, the PCs did not accept our interview request. In fact, Ford has largely shied away from the spotlight, choosing not to participate in post-debate scrums and some days providing no media stops at all. Some people say this is strategic to keep his steady place in the polls. But first, before we get to our leader profiles, two of our main parties released their full platforms this week, completing the quad of unveiling this election cycle. Hannah, you sifted through more than 80 pages of liberal promises. Give us the broad strokes. What do we need to know here? A handful of key promises stick out to me. The Liberals proposed an income tax on anyone making over 500000 a year, along with a tax on homes that sit empty, and a resurrection of rent control. When it comes to long-term care, they promised to end for-profit sites by 2028 by putting the brakes on renewing any new licenses. In the childcare camp, the Liberals actually want to reopen the $10-a-day childcare deal Doug Ford cemented with the feds and push it even further to get more money in parents' pockets. Finally, they said they want to study the four-day work week. Catherine, you took a close look at the Greens. What are they laying out? What do we need to know here? Obviously, there is a focus on the environment in the Greens platform. They call it the new climate economy. So they laid out a $17 billion plan to cut carbon pollution in half by 2030 and reach net zero by 2045. There was a definite focus on transit. The Greens would cancel Highway 4th. 13 and other highway-related projects, triple the number of dedicated bus lanes, and cut transit fares in half for three months. The platform is also full of a lot of non-environmental 
promises, including the building of 160,000 affordable rental homes, a commitment to end homelessness in the next decade, as well as a lot of electoral reforms. For example, if elected, the Greens would reduce the voting age to 16 and make Election Day a paid holiday. Okay, and Hannah, I know you sat down with Del Duca late last month to chat about his plans for the party and the province. So what were the biggest takeaways from your conversation? I think there's no question about it. The Liberals are climbing an uphill battle. We know that last election, they were gut-punched and left with only seven seats, just one short of official party status. On top of that, Del Duca lost his own seat and was then voted into his current leadership position just as the world was hanging on the edge of a global pandemic. So, while Del Duca says he's been an active Liberal for 30 years, for many, his face is still new. But when I chatted with him, he said that rebuilding the party was not his primary focus. But I want to stress the reason that I've been working this hard and our team has been working this hard isn't simply to say that we've rebuilt the Ontario Liberal Party. We're not in this to rebuild the Ontario Liberal Party. We are in this to deliver progress for Ontario. Now, let's shift gears. Catherine, you were able to sit down with Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath in late April. I know that was actually on the day that she released her platform. What did she have to say about it? So Horvath really dove into her commitment for universal health care and coverage for birth control early on. And this was reflected in her platform. Among some of the other promises, there was an income tax freeze for residents earning about $200,000 a year, a minimum wage increase, and regulation at the pumps. Folks are really having a hard time making ends meet. The cost of everything is going up. Uh, housing and gasoline and rent, it's, it's gotten quite uh, scary for folks. And so that's what I'm hearing from them. And so that's therefore a priority for me. Since the moment they released their platform, it's been pretty obvious that the NDP campaign theme would be about fixing what's broken. I should mention the platform released last month is not fully costed. I reached out to the NDP on Wednesday night and they said that voters can expect it in the coming days. At the time of recording Ballot Box on Thursday afternoon, we are still waiting. Hannah, when we debriefed about our interviews with Del Duca and Horvath, one of the things that really stuck out to us was that both leaders really sidestepped questions about how the Ontario Liberals and NDP are different from one another. How did Del Duca tackle this one? Honestly, I actually asked him this question twice, and both times he refused to even mention the NDP, and instead only mentioned Doug Ford. What happened on your end? Horvath did mention the Liberals, but only to reiterate her basic stump speech line in which she says the party had 15 years in power to fix what was broken. I would argue that doesn't really give voters much of an understanding about the differences. That being said, there is an obvious difference Horvath was willing to talk about. She is the only woman leading a major political party in Ontario. And like so many women, she says she is not immune to passive-aggressive sexism. And... I, I, every time it happens to me, I think, I think, I'm di- well, first of all, I get, I'm disappointed because it continues to happen. But I think to myself, I'm not the only woman that uh, experiences this, but by having a leadership role, uh, by taking those kinds of things on when they occur, uh, it, it helps to, um, it helps to, I think, shore up other women, uh, but also, you know, acknowledge that, that we have to, uh, we have to keep uh, fighting these battles if our daughters and our granddaughters are perhaps 
at some point in the future going to be able to be free from them. Horvath has been the leader of the NDP for more than 10 years now, and this marks her fourth try at the premier's seat. This has led to some questions about her future within the party. I asked her what her plans were if the NDP didn't win on June 2nd, or if the party didn't manage to hold on to their position as official opposition. Would she remain party leader or step down? This is what she said. Well, that's always a decision that gets made uh, when that uh, when that bridge approaches. At this point, my focus is on, on assuring Ontarians that we can tackle the things that matter most to them. I also had a chance to chat with our CTV colleague, Abby Neufeld, about what she learned about the Greens when she interviewed Mike Schreiner. How was the conversation? Yeah, thanks. It was it was great. I was able to speak to Mr. Schreiner during a break from campaigning. He's been driving around Ontario in his electric car. Um, I'd actually never spoken to Mr. Schreiner before this, so it was nice to be able to learn about his platform from him directly. We spoke about the details of his platform, his plan to lead Ontario through the pandemic if elected. He called the PCs, the Liberals, and the NDPs the three blind parties and said the Conservatives have failed to properly navigate through COVID. We also spoke about what he thinks of the state of the climate crisis and why voters should consider the Greens. So tell us a little bit about Mike Schreiner as a person for those who may not know who he is. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Mike Schreiner is actually a Canadian-American and he grew up on a rural farm, a grain farm in uh, Kansas. And I think growing up on that farm really taught me the value of protecting the land and the water that, that feeds us and sustains life. Uh, in my adult life, as I was concerned about uh, just, I think, the failure to adequately address the climate crisis and the environment crisis, quite frankly, around protecting farmland and water, uh, the Green Party was the only party putting forward like bold, practical solutions. Now, Mr. Shiner is the leader of the Ontario Green Party. He assumed that position in 2009. And in 2018, the Green Party secured their first ever seat in Queen's Park. That's Shiner's seat in his riding of Guelph. Well, I think uh, most commentators would say that the Ontario Greens have punched well above our weight at Queen's Park and has been really the most effective opposition party. And we want to leverage that into additional seats. So the goal of these profiles is to learn more about the party leaders as people. So... What was one fun fact that stood out to you about Mike Schreiner? Yeah, so Mike Schreiner actually revealed his favorite campaign snack, which is dark chocolate almonds, and his go-to caffeinated drink, which is locally roasted coffee, preferably in Guelph. He also let us know his favorite natural spot in Ontario to visit, but you'll have to read the profile to find that out. Thanks so much, Abby. Before we go, here's a couple fun, more personal clips from our interviews with Del Duca and Horbath, with their responses on what their pandemic pastimes were and go-to caffeinated beverages on the campaign trail. To read our full Q&A profiles, visit ctvnewstoronto.ca. Uh, it was baking bread like so many others. <laughs> it was baking bread and unfortunately, you know, nobody can resist a nice warm loaf of bread out of the oven. So that was a problem. <laughs> TV shows, I, I, my go-to TV show is Jeopardy. I, I watch nice. Jeopardy every chance I get. I just love it. My wife and I, which is there's lots of shows that we've been watching during the pandemic. Uh, Yellowstone, we watched. Ozark, we watched. Uh, those are two that leap to mind right now. 
Um, the latest book that I, uh, I just finished another biography of a former U.S. president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR. I think that's my 11th or 12th bio that I read of him. Uh, and I just, I, I finished that one up about a month ago. Coffee all the way. <laughs> Lots of coffee, dark roast coffee, Wh whatever tastes really strong. And, and I often, especially as the days get a little bit longer, I often add a shot or two of espresso into my dark roast coffee. It's, uh, it, it really is what fuels me. If you're wondering how the polls are shaping up, the progressive conservatives are still enjoying a lead, according to a Nanos poll commissioned by CTV News Toronto on Monday. But that gap is narrowing. While 29% of respondents said they would vote Ford, just over 24% chose Del Duca, a little more than 20% selected Horvath, and 4% said they would go green. All right, that was a lot to digest, but luckily we still have a few weeks to go before it's time to cast that ballot. On Monday, we'll have full coverage of the second debate, followed by a full breakdown on Ballot Box next Friday. So stick with us on this journey. Tune in next Friday for the third episode of Ballot Box, available on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 